Blog Talk Radio. It's November 5th, 2017. Hello and welcome to Working for a Living Radio Show, where progressives for change present opinions of matter. Tonight we're joined by co host David Fillion. I'm your moderator, Leroy McKnight. Jeff Brown is on assignment. Please remember good leadership is never about power and control but rather for the honor and privilege of serving the members in the interest of the membership. To be sure, each and every member of the leadership team of Working for a Living is committed to returning our union, the UAW, to a labor ethos, and that ethos then administered in the interest of all the rank-and-file members. Having said that, we certainly hope most of you had an enjoyable week and that you had a lot of fun and stayed safe. This just in, there has been yet another mass shooting, this time at a rural Texas church, where at least 27 are dead and more than two dozen injured in the shooting. It's very sad that this stuff is going on these days. Also very sad, long before he should have, Brother David Freeman, the recording secretary of UAW Local 600, has passed away. We send our condolences to his family, friends, and co-workers, and to the family, friends, and co-workers of all involved in the Texas shooting. May we please have a moment of silence for these folks. Thank you. Announcements. Remember that Team Working for a Living supports Medicare for Everyone and removing the $127,000 limitation cap on earnings that are subject to participation in the Social Security program. Reminder, there is a petition on our page to sign in support of Medicare for All. Announcement number two, Team Working for a Living continues to oppose the Working Families Flexibility Act. Announcement number three, Team Working for a Living continues to stand shoulder to shoulder with the Michigan Building Trades against the legislation introduced to repeal Michigan's prevailing wage. And on July 7th, they renewed their request to decline to sign any petition that has anything to do with prevailing wage. This is very important, people. Announcement number four, this this week it was announced that there is a Takata airbag inflator recall. You may go to airbagrecall.com to see if you are affected. Announcement number five, the U.S. House tax bill was made public this past week. It reportedly gives the wealthy and corporations a $1.5 trillion tax cut and masks all of the cuts for low income with an increase in standard deduction on your taxes. Workingforliving.com has a page for you to contact your elected representatives. If you go to workingforliving.com, top left-hand side, you'll see contact your elected representatives, elected officials. And you click on that, I'll tell you how to get a hold of them. Announcement number six, one of the items to be cut in the tax bill is a tax credit of $7,500 per electric vehicle sold. That would not help 
sales, one bit. On October 31st, it was announced that a Japanese company now gives non-smokers six extra days per year to compensate for cigarette breaks. Announcement number eight. On October 30th, General Motors stocks tanked after Goldman Sachs downgraded GM. Announcement number nine. The Detroit News reported that as of March 17, the retiree Viva Health Trust owns 9.3% of the outstanding General Motors stock. This is in contrast to comments made this week that most of the GM stock held by the Viva was sold in 2005. People, please be careful of what you write and what you read. You know, sometimes you go from memory and memory just isn't correct. I mean, I think this the 2015 sale dealt with the, corp- the, the government finally selling all their stock. So... The Viva still owns 9.3 of the outstanding stock as of March of 2017. And, folks, you know, make sure stuff is kind of fact-checked. Look it up if you think that's maybe not right. It came out in the article this week. Okay. Announcement number 10, congratulations to Teamster Local 89 leadership Fred Zuckerman, Everell Thompson, and Robert M. Cologne on their long struggle to obtain essential justice for their membership that has now culminated in amazing success. More on that later in the show. Announcement number 11, and last but not least, the FBI investigation of the UAW has been expanded from FCA into the Ford and GM departments. Very sad. There will be some more on that in the show. Email and messages. Uh, I'm seeing a lot here talking about this. Here it is again. Uh, I'm seeing a lot of facts being thrown around on the pages from uh, that do not seem to be based, be based in facts. What is up with that? That's from Tennessee. Well, we don't know what people say. I mean, you sit behind a typewriter and you say about anything you want, uh, but. You know, there's some folks out there that are attorneys that are leading the resistance, if you will, and they regularly say, you know, reputable fact-check sources or someone who's actually been a party to the issue. You know, I I can tell you uh, in the last week, someone said that somebody named Gardner, a retiree retired worker from Flint as an attorney was my attorney in the Viva case. There was nobody either from the Detroit law firm or the Philadelphia law firm that was named Gardner in the case at all. Not one. There was a lead attorney here in Detroit by a different name. Email, uh, this is a um, uh, message, uh, number two. What if 
they offered incentives and pension protections to get all of these old people to retire, and that's from Ohio. Uh, well, retirement's a personal issue. It's a personal decision. And contrary to popular opinion, it does not just involve the corporations, as the government has gotten involved. There are many laws that deal with pensions and the pension funding levels. I hope you can still hear me. My my uh, computers just dropped the radio show here, but we'll call it good for now. Um, let's see if it's still here. Yep, we're still on. Came back up. Sorry about that, folks. Um, and they've gotten involved in big ways uh, during especially 2006, and that's been now put into black letter print into our own agreement. The only difference to that is that now it's automatic without any appeal uh, so that it would occur as soon as it triggers these, these uh, levels. Uh, so um, further, I want to let you know that uh, these old folks that are making the high money in your plants, the older people, they can't, one, they can't be discriminated against. And two, uh, you know, we heard about that last week. Then. And two, we have uh, the issue uh, that these people are the tier two, three, four, and five pathway to higher wages. While we're not going to give away all our secrets, it's wrong to have a person working next to each other making different wages, okay? And we have a plan in our team to deal with that, okay? So uh, having said that, uh, you know, these aren't necessarily your enemies, folks. You need to really look at a bigger picture here, and there is a pathway to end the tiers in total, in total, when you have leadership that is not company ethos leadership. Okay, so uh, that's that's out there. So uh, the uh, uh, this is an email number three. Thanks to Jeff for his Constitution series. Uh, I and my friends are learning a lot, and that's from New York. I guess they have a team somewhere that, uh, that you know, a team they're working uh, with uh, together. That's from my team. I and my team are learning a lot. So that's from New York. So thank you for that. Uh, thank you to all the email writers and the message people that wrote in or, or, or messaged or just talked about something. Uh, this week's quote Government is instituted for the common good, for the protection, safety, prosperity, and happiness of the people, and not for the profit, honor, or private interest of any one man, family, or class of men. President John Adams, a founding father. Let me read that again. It's worth, re worth repeating. Government is instituted for the common good, for the protection, safety, prosperity, and happiness of the people, 
and not for the profit, honor, or private interest of any one man, family, or class of men. Uh, again, that was President John Adams' founding father. Okay, I think we have David in the wings. David, are you there? How are you doing tonight? Pretty good. I'm pretty good. Um, been busy. You know, it's been real, real busy. We're doing a lot of writing. Uh, you know, we have a lot of issues out there ongoing, and uh, we always step up and do our level best to try and help uh, those brothers and sisters that may be in distress or under attack. So it's been pretty busy around here the last few weeks uh, doing just that. Uh, so it's uh, almost uh, uh, the uh, uh, exclusion of some other things that I'd really like to be doing. Uh, although I did watch Michigan State University uh, beat uh, Penn State, number seven Penn State, on Saturday in a very extended game with a three and a half hour rain or yeah weather delay, uh, thunder, I guess, and lightning. We had a big storm here. Uh, how are you doing, David? Pretty good. I'm tired of the rain. <laughs> um, <laughs> seems like it's been a week of it now, and everything I need to do is to get it done. It's most of it's outdoor work, but tomorrow's supposed to be a dry day. Hooray! <laughs> um, yeah, I hear you. I hear you. I'm, you know, I got a bit of that to do around here myself. So, uh, you want to go ahead with your report? Yeah. You still there? Yeah. Can okay. you hear me? I want to make sure. Yeah, I got signal that goes in and out a little bit tonight because it's stormy here. Um, it, I, I, there were some people in the the switchboard, a number of them, and when my computer dropped, I lost a lot of people out of the switchboard. So I want to say that was not anything to do with the switchboard operator, <laughs> okay? Uh, I did drop a lot of people on, on out of the switchboard. Uh, the the uh, uh, only people that stayed are the people that were actually unmuted. Uh, so if you are listening and you had called in, you know, please feel free to call back in, and uh, you were not uh, taken off by the switchboard operator, but rather a, a computer here. Uh, and, you know, uh, the uh, uh, host that we use is having a lot of trouble. There's a number of uh, shows that are uh, having uh, holes in their show, and, and uh, it's been reported uh, that there's a little trouble. We've had some here a little bit ourselves, uh, and I know... The other thing is that people need to know on the .com, uh, there are so many people listening that sometimes you're going to get some uh, uh, pauses in the, uh, uh, the the radio shows going on while we're on the air because there are an extraordinary number of people on the call on the .com listening. If you're having trouble, uh, you can consider to go over and hit one of the uh, icons that represent your um, particular way of listening, whether it's iPhone or Stitcher or uh, either uh, Blog Talk or F Player FM, uh, and listen to us that way if you are having trouble. So uh, we appreciate that. Thank you very much for, for your forbearance on all of that as well. Okay, David, uh, go ahead. Um, 
this week. Um, my report takes us back to the summer of uh, 2012, Louisville, Kentucky. Um, they built, uh, well, they ended up building the Ford Escape down there. Um, Teamsters had uh, represented the Ford plants yard employees. Um, these employees were responsible for transporting finished vehicles from the plant to a staging area. Um, then they were sent out by rail or by truck. And they'd been doing those jobs since the 50s. 2010, um, Ford closed the plant briefly. Closing, it was an idling to prepare to assemble um, the Ford Escape. Um, at the time, it began laying off the Teamsters yard workers. Um, the vehicle processing work for the Ford Louisville assembly plant was performed by Auto Handling Incorporated. Um, those employees, like I said, had been represented by the Teamsters. Um, in an uh, attempt to underbid auto handling by USA, formerly known as Boyeth Industrial Services Incorporated, um, informed Ford that its workforce would be represented by the UAW and based its projected labor costs on Tier 2 wage scale. The UAW wage scale was far below the scale for the Teamsters. Surprisingly, um, not surprisingly, Ford awarded the contract to Vaiusa. In August of 2012, Teamsters Local 89 filed a complaint with the NLRB's Region 9 office in Cincinnati. The complaint alleged, among other things, that the employer violated the National Labor Relations Act, NLRA, by refusing to hire Teamster-represented employees, recognizing the United Auto Workers as a minority union, refusing to recognize and bargain with Teamsters Local 89, and unilaterally establishing terms and conditions of employment for the employees that it did hire. During this period of time, Bob King was the president of the United Auto Workers Union. Um, I learned about this incident happening um, on a Teamsters picket line in Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, one of the uh, young ladies that was there um, on strike um, asked me when she saw me in UAW attire if I was there to uh, raid their jobs. And at the time, I had no idea um, what she was talking about. The next day, found out completely and exactly what she was talking about. Um, and at any rate, there has been um, justice in this issue. There's been a release by um, the National Labor Relations Board. This information is disseminated from um, a news release by the National Labor Relations Board, and I'll read it in its entirety. Release by USA Incorporated, Teamsters Local 89, and the NLRB reached 21.6 million settlement. National Labor Relations Board sent this bulletin at 10.30, 17, 
at 1.58 p.m. EDT. The Regional Director for Region 9 on behalf of General Counsel of the National Labor Relations Board, NLRB, has signed a court-mediated settlement agreeing among the NLRB by USA Incorporated, formerly BOIF, Industrial Services Incorporated, the employer, and Teamsters Local 89, the union. Under the agreement, the employer has agreed to pay $21.6 million. The NLRB will distribute approximately $14.4 million as back pay to about 257 former employees of the employer and individuals the employer refused to hire at its former vehicle processing operation at the Ford Motor Company's Louisville assembly plant in Louisville, Kentucky. The remainder, approximately $7.2 million, will be distributed to the Teamsters State's Pension Fund as compensation for the employer's failure to make benefit contributions. Pursuant to charges filed with the NLRB's Region 9 office in Cincinnati, Region 9 issued a consolidated complaint in the matter on August 3, 2012. The complainant alleged that the employer violated the National Labor Relations Act by refusing to hire Teamster-represented employees, recognizing the United Auto Workers as a minority union, refusing to recognize and bargain with Teamsters Local 89, and unilaterally, unilaterally establishing terms and conditions of employment for the employees that it did hire. On February 17, 2016, the NLRB issued a decision and order in the case holding that the employer had violated the National Labor Relations Act and alleged and ordered the employer to make all affected employees whole, including payments owed to the employee's pension fund. The employer petitioned the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Sixth Circuit in Cincinnati to review the NLRB decision in order. Thereafter, the NLRB Appellate and Supreme Court Litigation Branch, working closely with Region 9, the employer, and the union entered into a lengthy settlement negotiations with the assistance of the Sixth Circuit mediator. The negotiations accumulated in the regional director for NLRB Region 9, Gary E. Lindsay, signing the settlement on October 5, 2017. Established in 1935, the National Labor Relations Board is an independent federal agency that protects employers and employees from unfair labor practices and protects the right of private sector employees to join together with or without a union to improve wages, benefits, and working conditions. The NLRB conducts hundreds of workplace elections and investigates thousands of unfair labor practice charges each year. End of their own statement, Larry. Okay, thank you, David. That's an uh, interesting uh, occurrence in our uh, union now, isn't it? That uh, uh, the Teamsters seem to be disadvantaged. And now they're owed a lot of money, aren't they? Yeah. Unfortunately for um, hundreds 
thousands of uh, UAW represented members. Um, prior to Bob King being president of the United Auto Workers Union, um, Ron Gettlefinger in 2007 rated um, all of the worldwide facilities, employees, jobs at General Motors factories. Um, same thing happened at FCA and Ford Motor Company. Um, Boyf was um, awarded some of these contracts for cleaning services and plants. Um, they weren't in Lansing. Um, they actually brought in um, non-union labor, um, put them on our jobs, and the only thing that uh, kept us doing our work in some areas was there were currently still people in the jobs bank, and the national agreement had stated that um, as long as you had people in the job bank, you couldn't have contracted people in an assembly plant. And uh, 2007, shortly after uh, ratification of the agreement, we were all taken to a room, told we could all retire. Um, for those of us, for all of us, we would be given two weeks to um, off with pay to make a decision as to what we were going to do if we did, if we decided to retire. None of us had to return to the plant. Um, if we didn't re decide to retire, we would be leveled into the final assembly on the worst jobs in the in the plant. Um, one older guy, um, he had 45 years of seniority. He, the uh, um, labor rep that was presenting this information to us, no point in prolonging your misery. Take me down to the final assembly right now. I got 45 years. I want that job where you put the engine on the engine cradle. There were quite a few stickers in the room when he had said that. Um, out of all of us, 35, I think there was 17 of us that stayed. We came back to work. I was one of them. Um, so went into production on the door line. Our jobs were basically rated for low. Um, same thing that's happened here um, in this case. Um, this was in-house, in though. Our jobs were rated in-house. And those workers currently still make less than we did. Kind of close to my heart because I was one of those facility engineering employees. I cleaned paint books um, for a good number of years, um, as well as other machinery in the plant. And uh, this is the same thing, job rating, only with another union. Very distasteful, David. I know, yeah. You know, and uh, everybody, you know, I had somebody, I had a staff member uh, ask me a few, it's about two years ago. He said, Leroy, why are, why are the other unions mad at us? Why are the other unions mad at us? And I told him, I says, you know, we're not being very friendly to our brothers and sisters in other unions. 
I mean, if they run a candidate for House Rep, we went out there and trashed one. Highly qualified. State-level union officer ran for House Rep. And we didn't just go out there and support another candidate. We trashed their candidate. You know, and that, I mean, I've, I've, I'm friends with this guy. You know, and, I, you know, he told me, they, you know, I mean, I got a special... Special, uh, you know, anger at at uh, a couple people that that caused that to occur, and you know, this sort of thing. I mean, I, I've spoken with Fred Zuckerman, the president, of local Teamster Local 89, on this issue itself. He asked me the first question. He asked me, "Do you know about this?" I said, "Yes, I do." What do you know about it? pretty much told him what, what you just reported tonight. And he's not happy with us. And he well could be the president of the Teamsters at some point. You know, I told him, you know, if, if we are successful here, we'd, you know, like to repair that uh, and build a strong relationship because, you know, unions aren't going to get better unless we stick together. You know our image nationally, and this just it doesn't help our image when when people are doing this. People in leadership have done this. This isn't something we're making up. You read, you read from the report tonight. You read from the report tonight. You know that that isn't made up. Okay. And when when I'm getting questions from international staff rep, well-connected, why are people mad? Why are the other unions mad at us? I mean, it's no wonder when this kind of stuff goes on, and it needs to stop. It just simply needs to stop. We need to get along with our brothers and sisters in other unions. You know, we need to straighten our own house up, and we need to get management back in line so that they're doing the right thing. And then once we have that reputation back, people will be standing in line for miles to join our union again. Really. And that's what we'd like to see. So uh, having said that, uh, yeah, we really, really sad that this stuff's going on, David. Really sad. So well, I see a few people. I see a few people coming back into the, the, the switchboard. I I see some didn't make it back here, but believe me, uh, the only people that got stayed were the ones who were unmuted, and everybody else got kicked out. So, I mean, it was not our fault. I was reading along, and the switchboard just went blank, and the only people that were retained were the, you know, myself and or David and myself. So, because uh, we were unmuted. Everybody else got kicked off. So, um, again, this blog talk radio that hosts us is having some issues from time to time. And, of course, we have a lot of friends out there, too. <laughs> so to you say. know me. If I got kicked off, I'd just call back. Yeah, <laughs> I gotcha. <laughs> well, I just want to reiterate that, you know, I mean, we we had an issue one other time, similar issue, uh, that that occurred, 
and people got all miffed about it. And I just want to be real clear that did not occur uh, by anything we did either time, actually. So, um, so just know that. Thank you for your uh, forbearance on that. Um, is there anything you have to add on that after I had my little say, well, David? Yeah. Um, what's the first thing Bob King did when he came into his office in 2010? What was his first fiasco? You know? Oh, geez. I mean, there's so much stuff going on right now. Go ahead, Dave. Um, he went down to Indy Stamping and made a backdoor deal with J.D. Norman Enterprises. Um, Ford GM wanted to close the Indy Stamping plant, and uh, they found a buyer for it, J.D. Norman Enterprises, and uh, all the workers there were Tier 1 workers. Um, anyway, I believe they were so they could flow to other GM plants. Um, Bob King, along with his regional director, conspired behind the backs of the local um, to make an agreement that would cut 50% of their wages. Um, when they came in to try to sell the deal at their local, um, local 23 members through the International Union out of their local and they actually had to hold, I think, two or three votes. Um, finally, the last one was a photograph vote. You would hold up your uh, um, ballot and your uh, links card to get in, badge, and that was your vote. Uh, that's how bad it got. Um, they did vote that down, and uh, the plant did close those folks flowed. I believe some of them are in Winstow. Um, others of them landed in other locations. Um, but the people from uh, Indy Stamping, Local 23, their ground, and they didn't get pushed around by Bob King. And the, what they essentially done was save the backs of their brothers and sisters at Ford, Chrysler, and GM. J.D. Norman Enterprises would have taken over this building. It had an enormous amount of floor space in it. They would have been stamping parts for all three of the D3. And a lot of members and other plants would have lost their jobs to that plant for the low wages. When you um, said company ethos earlier, yeah. ethos? Yeah. yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of stamping um, plants, six major manufacturers, uh, the assembly plants for for General Motors, have built new state-of-the-art stamping plants uh, as part of their facility. Uh, I was in conversation with one of the uh, retired um, machine repair women, uh, and she was consulting on the building of these, uh, all six of them, uh, stamping facilities in the, the major uh, assembly plants. And 
she was of the mind that the uh, metal fab in Flint will be uh, sourced over to these other stamping facilities. So just a word to the, to the wise over there at the metal fab, uh, there's some finessing going on uh, to move your work. Uh, we don't know that for sure, getting its opinion, but um, all you have to do is, you know, read the handwriting on the wall and try and figure out, you know, if this part that's being stamped in the new facility is being produced at your plant now and figure out how long you're going to continue to do that. Uh, so just know that. Uh, so anyhow, it, just an aside from our reports tonight. Okay, well, yeah, you're right, David, you know, company ethos versus a labor ethos. So uh, The administration caucus, um, I think that they would like to believe that people forget all these trespasses against our members and our sister unions. Um, yeah. That's why we're here, to keep it fresh on their minds. Yeah. Um, it is my personal opinion. Only those folks who work down there in Solidarity House, they can't be Democrats. How the heck could they be Democrats? Everything they've done to us since, well, we can go all the way back to 1981 if you want, but I consider Ron Gettlefinger, Bob King, and Dennis Williams the axis of evil. And those folks, they call themselves Democrats. Well, I'm going to tell you, everything that they've done to our membership, any Republican would cheer. Any. Yeah. Taking their pensions away, it's it's disgusting. Well, they never, I mean, they had a whole year in advance to try and at least inform the membership of who and what a Donald Trump is and how the reason they went to bankruptcy in many instances, was to not pay the labor force. And that's well documented. So, I mean, people went to work, and he didn't pay them, and then he went bankrupt saying, I can't pay it. And I guess he's a billionaire, isn't he? At least he says he is. Uh, and he won't give up his, you know, tax statements. So, all right. Well, you know, so be it for, for what they are. Uh, we know they need to be replaced and re removed and replaced. So uh, I'm very observant, Leroy. And over the last six months, I've noticed something. Yeah. We have people campaigning in the state of Michigan. We don't see any Democrats standing beside the international executive board members, do we? Uh, the, on Labor Day, I didn't see any of the candidates standing uh, they were photographed with them I didn't you know because they I, you were know, with our sister unions yeah and, and in one case with a local union you know one of them but yeah they all of the those folks were uh, elsewhere they were not photographed with our leadership this year not that I saw and I, I looked at a lot so of far. stuff yeah so, so far uh, yeah speaks volumes. Uh, they're, you know, everybody's seeing that there's legs to what, what I'm going to report on here in a minute. I do want to make another announcement, though, Dave, if you've you got, got any more. No, I'm good. Go ahead. Okay. 
Uh, we've got another announcement. Local 2192 uh, is on strike down in Lorraine, Ohio. And we'll be contacting them to let you know where to send any strike assistance for them. Um, we've been looking to try and find uh, an address for that local, and we just haven't found it. Uh, so we'll we'll try and get more on that, and maybe invite them on the show if they want to come on and tell us their their issue. So uh, I was remiss; I missed that that last announcement in the in the in the uh, role, the announcement role here. So uh, anyhow, I'll uh, get on to my report. I wanted to let everybody know a little bit about uh, what what occurred this week uh, and some of the background for this. Uh, and while no one was indicted, uh, they have uh, interest. I think they said they have interest in people. Uh, so... Uh, and uh, certainly, you know, have expanded the investigation into the GM and Ford aspects of the National Training Centers uh, at, at all. Um, uh, the um, thought that uh, I wanted to talk about somebody that... Uh, uh, really has a lot to do with modern-day knowledge. He was a 1920s religious philosopher, Edward Albert Wiggum. And he said some things uh, about the Bible, but it's more about knowledge itself. Uh, basically, he said, the more you know about knowledge, the more you know just how little you know about it, and the truly intelligent are indeed humbled by the vastness of knowledge. Humbled by the vastness of knowledge. And it's been said that, based on that, there are some who simply know it all. They know it all. Just ask them. I know it all. Well, I don't know it all. Our team doesn't know it all. We ask questions all the time. We make mistakes from time to time ourselves. And... We do our best to keep everybody out of trouble and defend them against the evil that is out there. Um, the other thing I want to talk about, about knowledge, and I, I, I just feel the need to talk about this a little bit before I get into the report because there's a lot of stuff being said, okay? And we need to make sure uh, that we have a firm grip on what knowledge is, okay? So there are three, generally three categories of knowledge that philosophers will talk about. That's what you know, you know. In other words, I know this, and I know I know it. Okay, and the second one is what you know, you don't know. Okay, now, I know that I don't know anything about the rules of hockey. I know I don't know that. That's me. That, I just don't know the rules in hockey. I kind of, I watch it from time to time. I, I enjoy it. I get a kick out of it. But I don't really know the rules offside all that. But I know I don't know that. And the third category is what you don't know. 
that you don't know. Okay? And that's something that you simply don't know. There's knowledge out there about things in the universe that I know I don't know. That's just me. So everybody has those three categories. Because, you know, going back to Edward Albert Wiggum, knowledge is such a vast thing. There are certain things you just flat don't know that you don't know. Okay? And obviously there's things you know, and there's some things that you know you don't know. But then there's other things that you just didn't even know existed. And that's that last category. And I'm going to guess there's a lot of people that don't know what I'm about to tell you about. That's kind of what I just just went through here, why I went through it. Um, now, we all know, based on the uh, reports of the FBI investigation, that they have expanded their, ex, their investigation and that they are interested in Joe Ashton, Cindy Estrada. And we all know that the newspapers, or, yeah, Detroit News, went on to speak about the nonprofits. We know that we know that Holyfield, deceased brother, former vice president of our great union, had a nonprofit that seemed to be problematic and caused some indictments, potentially caused some indictments. What's the cause of it? And some people got indicted. Uh, and that all has not come out as much as we'd like to yet, but it will. Now, the nonprofits seem to be the biggest problem with the FCA. Of course, they had some purchases of $37,000 pens, and they had a purchase of uh, some other ancillary items. Uh, to his credit, Norwood Jewel reimbursed the uh, FCA, uh, NTC, for the shotgun uh, that was uh, errantly purchased with a credit card from the NTC. So, I mean, that that was a good thing, by the way. Uh, Norwood, that's, uh, you know, laudable. Hate to see that that even occurred, but it was, it was very, very, very uh, upstanding that you did that. So, uh, you know, from this chair, kudos to you for doing that. Uh, I had actually heard about that almost when it happened, and I was going, uh-oh. <laughs> so... Uh, but I didn't know how it got resolved. I did hear something about a shotgun getting purchased, and it was a problem. So I'm glad that got resolved. And as far as I'm concerned, there's, there's no issue there because uh, it, it is once found, it was resolved as best it could be. Um, that doesn't, you know, uh, relieve any other things that may show up in the future. Uh, and let's just talk about what a nonprofit is for a moment. Uh, 
okay? What's a nonprofit? Somebody asked that question uh, today. Uh, nonprofit, you must file with the state to create an entity, and that that entity be defined as a nonprofit entity. Typically, these are corporations, either an LLC or an S corporation or a C corporation. Often, an LLC is then converted into a nonprofit entity. And then it takes a second filing to file with the Department of Treasury through the Internal Revenue Service for nonprofit status under the 501. Uh, C categories, and there's a number of those. They go from A through, I think, I want C, no, C3, C1 through 8, I think. Okay, 501, C1 through C8, and they all have a different designation. 501, C3 is a uh, nonprofit that you're most familiar with. This is like the Red Cross and um, oh, you, you know, United Way. Uh, pick any one that you can think of, and, and those are typically 501c3 nonprofit corporations. And that's what it is, is a nonprofit corporation. And mostly used for the purposes of uh, providing some sort of service like the Red Cross. Okay, but you've, if you've been around a while, you've noticed that the Red Cross had come under some scrutiny because of the high wages of their CEO, executive officer of the uh, 501c3. Now, many 501c3s, the entities, are uh, director-based. Okay, so that you have directors that run the entity. And in the case of, of a lot of uh, smaller uh, 501c3s, that's what it is. I mean, it's just a director based. I know at least one, maybe two that I've looked up, uh, haven't really done the full, because uh, it's voluminous. The, the paperwork around this is just is volumes, and I've, I've uh, researched uh, the ones that I want to talk about tonight uh, without getting into all the detail. We'll try and make those uh, filings available on the uh, website. We'll make those available, uh, and we'll post those out uh, as they uh, are uploaded onto a page on the website. And this would be, you know, filings regarding uh, a um, uh, charity uh, nonprofit owned by one of these vice presidents. And we'll make the there's five of them that seem to be in question uh, at the at the moment. Uh, so we'll get those filings from the state entity uh, filing place, and we'll get those out there for you to see, but I want to go over them a little bit. Uh, they seem to be director-based, at least two of them. And the third one, I just uh, didn't I didn't find the document I was looking for, so I, quit. I can't speak to that. 
definitively. Uh, director base means that they're, the directors run it, but they're not competent, and in this, these cases, they're not compensated to run it as directors. Okay, so that is how this group of nonprofits seem to be set up. Now, let's let's go into. Uh, by the way, uh, uh, political parties are not a 501c3. They have their own distinction, and unions have their own distinction. Any number of other things. There's some nonprofit real estate, I believe, is one of them. Others, there's a number of these things that are that are out there. Uh, so that again, they go from 501c1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I believe eight's the last one. Uh, it might be mistaken. I'm going from memory, but I do know there's at least eight, as I recall. Uh, so, uh, as for the current set of three vice presidents, it is reported that. Number one, Cynthia Estrada is the chair of the Cynthia Estrada Charity Fund. And state records indicate that this entity was created on May 23, 2012. Okay. Now, she was first, I believe, elected as uh, an executive board member in 2010. So it took a couple of years after she was elected as an executive board member in order for that to uh, be created. So 2010, she served as a vice president of organizing, I believe, and now she's vice president GM department uh, and has had this for some seven and a half years, roughly. I'm sorry, five and a half years. I apologize. Uh, so uh, the next one uh, is uh, vice president of UAW, Jimmy Settles. And he is president of a nonprofit by the name of Just, just like it sounds, Just. Okay. And the state records indicate that that entity, nonprofit entity, was created on May 16, 2007. Now remember, he's been an executive board member, I believe, since six. Okay. His regional director, and then went on to vice president last time, and then now here he. Uh, Vice President again. So this was created in 2007, May 16. And the last nonprofit, okay, is uh, Vice President Norwood Jewell. He's president of Making Our Children Smile. Okay, and that state records indicate that that entity was created on. June 23rd, 2014. Now, he was an executive board member prior to that because he was Region 1C director, and that's been changed to Region 1D for everybody who's paying attention. Uh, and, um, but he was elected as vice president of FCA, Fiat Chrysler America, formerly Chrysler, uh, on uh, in early June. Like, I, I don't want to get to the exact date. I'd be probably remiss, but uh, uh, in my statement. Uh, so this was June 23rd, so about three, two and a half, three weeks after he was elected as vice president, he created this nonprofit. Uh, and so now you know the 
the history of when these things were created. And that goes probably falls for most of you under the category of I don't know, I don't know that information, so, as you can see. And there's a whole lot more out there uh, that I know I don't know, but I'm going to make it available so that you get moved from I don't know, I don't know into the category of I I know, or at least I know I don't know that it's out there. So for now, you're moved into, yes, there's more, uh, and you don't know that just yet, but we'll get it all out there. So this was a lot of work to find this stuff out today. Uh, it's a busy day, and, of course, I actually have a life uh, and uh, attempt to uh, have a little fun with some friends now and then, so I did that for about two hours out of today, and it gets kind of rare around here, so my friends clamoring uh, at me to uh, get out of my office, and so I did. Uh, so, uh, but having said that, uh, we now know when these were created, and they appear to be created shortly after they were executive board members and maybe regional director in one case there, one instance. Now, how do how do these nonprofits operate? And we talked about how they're you know they're, they're director based in large part, and they uh, are not paid. There's no compensation for the directors. Okay, that doesn't say that record keepers, et cetera, aren't uh, uh, compensated. I can tell you that there are a lot of rules uh, regarding nonprofits. There's actually a rule out there, according to the guy that, I mean, I'm friends with somebody that taught uh, how to run a nonprofit. Uh, he's parks director of another county here. Uh, and he taught these classes. Uh, and a couple of things that he uh, indicated to me is that, you know, if you have a nonprofit that is over $10,000, that it must be audited annually. Okay, so those audits would be in existence. And, you know, the internal, the money received and the money outgoing would be, have to be uh, legitimate. Uh, of course, I know a lot of nonprofit, or at least one nonprofit, I should say. I don't want to get into here more than what I uh, have actually seen. I know at least one that was uh, $50,000 annually and the in income, and they uh, did not have an audit. Uh, they were remiss and virtually refused to have an audit. Uh, that particular nonprofit got in a lot of trouble, but we won't go into that one. Uh, a friend of mine was trying to tell them that some of the stuff they needed to do. And this gentleman, I had two friends, but the gentleman that uh, taught this uh, stuff was actually sitting on this particular board. And a friend of mine was raising, another friend, raising the issue who sat on the board as well, uh, that, you know, you need to have an audit. And there's some other uh, things that needed to be done properly. And he indicated to them, and, of course, they were egotistical totalitarians, and they got in trouble. And their entity uh, exists, but it's a shell of what it once was. So uh, there again, there's a number of limitations of ten thousand and 
the compensation of executives must be defined. And board members, according to my friend, are not allowed to be re receive any any compensation. None. In fact, a couple that did had to repay it. A couple of board members in this instance that I'm talking about, I was intimately involved in this, and a couple that had gone on junkets that were paid for had to reimburse the nonprofit for that, okay, because they weren't supposed to be paid for. Uh, they were a board member and, and not allowed to have compensation. But the executives that are hired by the board can have compensation. Well, you see, foundation presidents, etc., they get money to run these nonprofits. That's why all these people have foundations. It's a little different than a 501c3, by the way, but similar. So you have uh, a lot of this stuff, uh, once the money comes in, where it goes, it can really be just about anything. I mean, a nonprofit can uh, support a, uh, a football team, for example, uh, can, you know, pay for helmets and, uh, you know, for in the case of high school, I know that they pay for helmets, the Boosters Club, not 501c3, pay for uniforms. They can pay for trips for the, the team that they're supporting. So a lot of things can be paid for and supported. Okay? I mean, you could start a nonprofit and start paying people's eyeglasses. Okay? Making people, you know, children see better. Making children smile might be dental. We just don't know. We don't know. It's one of those things that we know we don't know. Okay, what is making our children smile? And how are they spending their money? It's very difficult to know, unless you're an auditor of their books, or the FBI, who will go in and audit their books. So now we know a little bit about nonprofits, we know the nonprofits that our three current vice presidents of the UAW own, and when they were created, you have information that you now know that you didn't know that you didn't know. And a lot of people are running around saying they know it all. Well, I'm guessing they learn something tonight if they listen to this show. Um, so. Uh, the one thing I want to leave you with, with regard to this, is kind of hinges on my last statement I made a minute ago. We don't know what monies were expended on. Okay? We have vice presidents that have nonprofits that have received a lot of money some 600,000 to at least 1.2 in one case and and in between in the last little bit I, you know they in the last few years they weren't specific on how much and how long well they had an idea how much but not how long so they just said in the last few years and that's reported in a paper so 600 and some odd thousand up to I think 1.2 million 
but we don't know how it was received, and we don't know how it was expended. And the only people that can tell us that are the FBI investigators, because an auditor is bound by their oath not to divulge private information. Because auditors, in the end, are CPAs. Okay, that's a CPA. And there's, by the way, there's very few in CPAs because of rule changes in the last decade. There's very few CPAs that even handle audits for nonprofits, including, you know, C3, C4, C5, unions, Democratic Party, uh, just regular 501C3. But they're required to have them over $10,000 worth of uh, uh, money. So, again, we don't know at this time. As much as we can know, I just told you, some details of this will be made available for your own reading, okay, on our page, on our dot-com page. But... Believe me, nobody knows where the money came from or how it was spent, if it was spent. It might just be sitting in these. So we have to be very careful not to say anything bad about people who have a charity that's a legitimate charity, okay? Just because they have it doesn't mean it's bad. And it's not good that the FBI is investigating them. That's not a good thing. Don't don't get me wrong. But at this time, at this time, until such time as the court records get to start to get filed, if at all, we don't know. Anybody out there speculating that they know more about the corruption at Solidarity House than anybody else is simply wrong, and we would like to hear from them about how much they know, because it probably get them in trouble, a lot of trouble. And this show is not going to get in trouble. We can tell you the facts, and the facts are, these are the charities, these are the charities they know, this is how nonprofit works, and this is when these nonprofits were created. We do not have access to their records internally, and the only people that can are the FBI investigators. And if they find something bad, they will take action. But for now, these are legitimate entities. And any of us that are demeaning people trying to do some good for, you know, people making our children smile, now, I'm not carrying their water for them, but we can't demean them just yet. Okay? We can say the FBI's expanded their investigation. Now you know more about their nonprofits. So, okay, David, do you have any uh, questions on that? No, you explained that very well. Thank you. I, I see a lot of speculation um yeah out there. I kind of just stay away from it. Yeah. Um, because 
just like you said, we don't know. And if these are Nobody legitimate knows. charities and they're doing good for people, they shouldn't exist. Um, on the other hand, if they aren't legitimate, no, the FBI will take care of their problem. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I'm aware that Steve Jokic had a nonprofit. He had a golf outing, a very big golf outing in every region, the whole time that he was president. So each region would have a Steve Jokic uh, nonprofit uh, ch- uh, charity golf outing. Every every one that, as far as I know, that's how that hand was handled, and they raised a lot of money, and it was a legitimate nonprofit where he helped people. Okay, so we got to be careful. Yeah, the FBI's listening and, and checking them out. You know, I I don't want to say they're guilty of something that really wasn't bad. Okay, and there's a lot of people want to rush to judgment, and I want to ask you a question: Is that the kind of person you want to run your union? Now, I promise you to tell you about more on the non-profits and what that means. But I'll also tell you the truth that we simply don't know. But people out there talking about corruption and this and that and that and this, yeah, we're probably pretty prevalent. Specifically, do we know any more than anybody else? Then absolutely not. The FBI is the only people privy to all those records at this time other than people who perpetrated it, and I don't think they're telling on themselves. So let's all just, you know, power down a little bit and wait and see, okay? Let's wait and see. If you want a UAW president that is methodical rather than shooting from the hip, then you consider working for a living. Okay. We're not on their side. We just don't want to grill, you know, go out there and grill them prematurely because they might actually be doing some good with these nonprofits. Just because one was bad doesn't mean they're all bad. Okay. But we'll see. We'll see. You know, we all smell it. Okay. The bigger thing here, folks, to be quite frankly frank with you is the dead peasants insurance taking money right out of her mouth. And that we can prove. Okay? We have proved it in case of Ford. So, all right. Well, that's about all I have. Uh, David, do you have anything else you want to talk about? Oh. Jeff will be back next week on the Constitution, so... I mean, he's he, he he had some construction going on around his place, and he just couldn't sleep for the last three or four days. And uh, you know, I, he he's just out of out of sorts. So I mean, he's not feeling well and didn't sleep. And when you don't sleep, you just don't feel good. So that's why he's not here with us tonight. And we, we put him on assignment to feel better. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So well, I go hope ahead, people stop yeah, beating on his roof soon. Yeah, <laughs> just good brother. Right. So, 
what, what else? You were going to say something else, David? What do you think about the um, GM shares tanking after Goldman Sachs um, downgraded the stock to sell? Well, Goldman Sachs has been around a long time, okay? And uh, Goldman Sachs uh, doesn't do anything without uh, thorough investigation. And they're, they're looking at stuff that, quite frankly, again, we don't have access to. We have some access to it, but not the access that a, that a Goldman Sachs has access to. Okay, and of course they're you know they have private conversations with uh, different people about you know, as they're assessing a, a company. They can, they may not make trades based on that, but then as they uh, assess the uh, buy, sell, or hold of a stock, uh, they have conversations that with CEO, et cetera. I mean, the ordinary person can call up and ask a question of any CEO. I've seen from some of my friends do exactly that. Want to know what you're doing here with this and that. Uh, there's a gold mine stock down in, that's here, traded here, but it's a gold mine in Chile. And I know a lot of people that have talked to the CEO about, you know, his, has happened to be a guy, uh, his actions. So, you know, and some of these players like Goldman Sachs, you know, they can get inside and talk. And, you know, they'll open, somebody will open the door so they can talk or, you know, open the call, you know, receive their phone call to talk about this or that or that or this. And, of course, the whole notion of subprime auto loans where people have been lying on their, and this has been caught, and I just read an article about it where they've been caught about lying on their uh, auto loan applications uh, and been charged with fraud that they uh, uh, have some subprime loans out there, a lot of them, evidently. Now, that's not to mean that fraud was in, indicated in any of these, but subprime means that they've allowed people with lesser credit ratings to get into the system and uh, purchase, lease, or what, uh, however, uh, you know, the financial instrument they use to get a vehicle. And that has been extended uh, in, in what is what 72 or 84 months I think it's 84 months now you can get a, a vehicle loan for for a new vehicle as soon as you drive it off the showroom it's upside down so that's subprime even if you got great credit because you're upside down now in the in the loan itself now there are some loan companies out there that will cover that if you have an accident Okay, they'll they'll cover your upside down loan, uh, in in the consideration for a, a total loss of your vehicle. But uh, Goldman Sachs did that for cause. They know because they you know they're uh, really 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 smart at what they're doing. Uh, most of the billionaires in our country, once upon a time, worked for Goldman Sachs. That's a, that's a statistic that. Most people didn't know they didn't know. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to wear that one out tonight. Uh, but uh, so, uh, you know, there's there's some problems there. They have shrunk the company to the degree that they don't have economies of scale anymore. 
You know, they have, I mean, they need to bring some of these jobs back in-house. They need to, you know, insource these jobs. They outsource them. But I've, I've got some documentation coming on uh, dings that are uh, being done, uh, you know, these uh, uh, J.D. Power dings that are being uh, audited. And most of the, the, well, at least in one case, a lot of the dings are from supplier companies. We have some of that coming. So I'm, I'm kind of saying tentatively, prospectively, that, you know, we know this and the proof is, in, is coming. We can say we've, we've heard that this is the case and the proof is on the way and I believe it's in the hand of the person that, that told me already. So I'm kind of feeling pretty uh, confident that the uh, source will bear itself out uh, in that regard. So the case can be made to bring those back in-house, those jobs that are problematic. Okay? And I didn't get into any specifics. I'm just telling you that we have that issue out there. So in my opinion, I guess, is how I should say that. Uh, any opinion uh, is founded in pretty strong, uh, soon-to-be-delivered evidence. So uh, the other thing is that uh, jobs being, uh, you know, sent over the seas, overseas, these need to be repatriated, brought back to the United States. Because, you know, they're having a problem. Okay, it isn't just subprime loans. They they have a problem with economies of scale, and they have a problem, this is, David Cole said this in, in the National Pell when he presented to the National Pell in 1995 when I went to it in September. He made this statement. He said, General Motors has an affordability problem. And as we have outsourced all of these jobs, 90 or 89%, according to CBS, CBS News, 89% have been uh, sent overseas. We've lost them. So the, those jobs are, are the ones that can be paying for, you know, purchases of vehicles. So th this isn't just a downs, uh, downgrading of General Motors, although it's specific to General Motors. This is the beginning, in my opinion, of an iceberg, and you can see the top of it with General Motors out, out front with Goldman Sachs downgrade. But because of affordability in our country, and we've masked, we've masked eight, uh, the loss of those 89% jobs with $8 trillion of infused money by the Fed. Goldman Sachs also knows that $4.5 trillion are going to be pulled out of the economy. Okay? So uh, the idea that you're going to sell cars in that environment is not all that good. Goldman Sachs also has likely taken a look at the vehicles produced versus vehicles sold versus the in-transit vehicles that are just in limbo. Okay? So we have uh, some accounting issue. Sure, it's, it's all legitimate the way they're doing it. But Goldman Sachs is looking at it through a different lens. 
this is not a good time for our country. And General Motors' downgrade is just the tip of that iceberg, in my opinion. You're about to see some things happening. Uh, there's a lot of stuff. We have geopolitical risks. We have a president that was called, uh, well, I'm not going to repeat that. Uh, let's just say he's sweetened too much. Uh, so uh, I don't want to demean him, but I'm not sure that he's helping our country. Even Senator Corker and some others are real concerned about the safety of our country. So who knows what the catalyst is going to be, but you've heard this show talk to you and present you on our webpage with some very uh, um, concerning statistical information uh, regarding uh, the stock market going from 6,600 to 23,300 with little to no pullback. Um, at some point, that rubber band lets go. And in this instance, I think that it's not going to just be a rubber band letting go. It could be pretty, pretty interesting. Uh, we, on the 29th, or 29th, what is it, the 19th of October, I think it was Friday, uh, that was the 30-year anniversary of 1987, and they were talking at the same magnitude of a drop would be around 5,400 points right now in one day, and then a follow-through after that. So um, it's limited to the point to the degree that it can't be 5,400 points from the level it's at. It'd be, if you calculate... It's all different calculations. I think I went through that a week or so ago, uh, or a couple weeks ago, and three maybe. Uh, so these new these new calculations, uh, it's going to be in the 4,400 because it went up a little bit since I talked talked to you about it. Uh, I think it was 42 and change. Now it's around 4,400 maximum move, but it's also no longer predicated on the Dow, but rather SPX. Uh, so. Um, if we see some more downgrades from others, not just of General Motors, uh, you can see this happening pretty soon. But our country is not in good shape, and they pull out $4.5 trillion out of our economy after infusing $8 trillion to mask the loss of, loss of jobs. It's going to get pretty ugly. There have been people that have said, this one will make the 1929, 30, 20 through the 30s depression look like a cakewalk. And this, brother, is in that camp. When I buy gifts now, there's rounds of silver. I run, that's, that's how much faith I have in our U.S. dollar. The Tea Party wasn't so far wrong about the proper valuation of the dollar. I am not a Tea Party fan, but they were not incorrect in that particular aspect of what they were saying back in 2010, and they almost tipped it over. 
they almost tipped our economy over by that. People in Europe were talking about revaluating the dollar at that time. And they were saying, if it's not valued properly, we are in a lot of trouble. So I broadened the answer a little. Goldman Sachs sees what's about to happen, just as a lot of other people are seeing it. They see the subprime auto loans. They see affordability being a problem for all the reasons I just outlined. They see accounting systems that they might believe is problematic. Mary Barra wanted to be the first one to say, I have made 10% this quarter. I have made 10% for this year profit. Okay? But they don't care one iota about market share. And they've lost market share every quarter since the bankruptcy. And because of the games they played, there are accountants that I know that know some of the inside uh, accounting um, measures that will never buy another General Motors product. They own Fords. Uh, I'm just telling you, it is not a good picture. I don't like to get off on this too much, but, uh, you know, they're going to cut our pensions in half, and I I wanted to say that uh, for the last month, and I've been forgetting it. We passed the snapshot date of September 30 without any problem. So the pensions likely will not get cut in January likely not get cut in January. Okay? So just know that. So I guess I'm getting a little bit long here. Uh, let me uh, wrap it up. Uh, David, you got anything else to say? No. Really, that was a pretty good explanation. Um, thanks. Okay. Well, let's uh, – uh, you don't have anything else to say on any issue? Nope. Um, okay, remember our email address. What? Go ahead. I say I covered pretty much everything I wanted to say tonight. Okay. Uh, our email address is workingforliving at workingforliving.com. Uh, if you found value in this show on any issue we talked about, just tell one more person about us. Uh, you can follow us on Blog Talk Radio, workingforliving.com, iTunes, Stitcher, and Player FM. Uh, A hearty shout-out to all our friends around the globe, six continents listening to us these days. Our friends in Canada, friends in Mexico, our friends in local unions, UAW local unions across the nation. And I want to say everybody have a a good night. Stay safe through the coming week, and we'll see you next Sunday. Uh, Good night, listeners, and good night, Dave. Good night, everybody.